But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Give Us a Second, which is a mini-show series brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach, flying solo this evening for the first time since the start of the pandemic. My usual co-host, Matt, could not make it tonight, and I'll leave it up to him in the future as to whether or not he wants to expand upon that any further. However... My topics for this mini-sode, our 50th, give us a second, Blonde and Don't Worry Darling felt time-sensitive enough for me to plow forward on my own. We'll see how it goes. If it's shit, I'll probably just delete it, not post it, and act like this never happened. But if you're hearing this, then obviously I thought it worked out well enough. As always... Follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review. And if you do, maybe not judge it so much on this solo pod. <laughs> Usually the banter, the back and forth, that's what really drives this forward. This is going to be a little bit awkward and difficult. But as I said, I felt like we needed to get this out ASAP since everybody seems to be talking about these two films. If you'd like a free sticker, you can reach out to us on Twitter, at GreatestPod, and we'll send that out to you. And finally, you can find me on Letterboxd at Zach1983, Z-A-C-H-1983, and Matt at Matt Crosby, M-A-T-T-C-R-O-S-B-Y. Oddly enough, I do think that Letterboxd sort of fits in with the theme of this episode and sort of the baffling existence of modern day criticism and film criticism and trying to make sense of it all people's very visceral reactions to at least one of these films and perhaps their very generous reactions to the other one we are kicking off our annual greatest october in the history of forever celebration starting early next week and as a little teaser i'll tell you that at the end of our second greatest october episode we do discuss both barbarian and pearl just so you know that we didn't skip over those to get to these more recent films however the first episode of october is a little bit longer so we didn't really want to jump into it then so if you're still waiting to see barbarian or pearl maybe check that out before We get into The Greatest October in earnest, and then you can listen along and have your opinions on those. Since I'm going to be discussing two pretty new films, one of which just came out on Netflix yesterday, actually, I do have to give a minimal spoilers warning. I don't really feel like there's going to be much to spoil about Blonde, It's not really that type of movie. If you know anything about 
the project or about Marilyn Monroe or the controversies surrounding the film, you kind of already get it. There's not really much to spoil in the way of plot. And then with Don't Worry Darling, I am going to get into the big twist, but I will give a second spoiler alert before I do so. That way, if you haven't seen that film and you want to not hear that part of it, we'll save that towards the end. And again, there'll be another warning. I'd like to keep this fairly brief, so I'll just jump into it. I'll start with Blonde, because despite the insane whirlwind of controversy that's been raging ever since this film became available to stream on Netflix on Wednesday, I actually think I have less to say about it overall. Actually, I'd like to even correct myself. I think the controversy's been going ever since this premiered in Venice, and once... A certain segment of the internet found out what the deal is with it. There's been some incessant review bombing on Letterboxd and some other places from people that had definitely not seen the film yet because I think there was sort of a misunderstanding as to what the film was in the first place. Not that that would change their minds anyway, but I do think that for the people who are expecting this to be a more straightforward biopic based on the life of Marilyn Monroe, the reality of what Blonde is is probably a bit much for them to take because it is a fictionalized story based on her and other real people, which is a very tricky subject to navigate, and I think that that's a huge part of the issue. But before we get into it specifically, Blonde was written for the screen and directed by Andrew Dominic, director of such films such as Chopper, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, and Killing Them Softly. It was based on the novel by Joyce Carol Oates. For those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, we did an episode on Smooth Talk, which was based on a short story by Joyce Carol Oates and directed by Joyce Chopra, who actually made a 2001 TV miniseries of Blonde. So this is not actually the first adaptation, but this one, the one on Netflix that just premiered, is 2 hours and 46 minutes. It's rated NC-17, and it stars Ana de Armas. So it's a whole different unique take on this material and it was instantly divisive Dominic's been out there way in advance of this release predicting that people would be infuriated by the film he gave multiple warnings about it I think he knew that he was courting controversy and in that sense he already succeeded and that's the genius about releasing films on Netflix maybe the thing that people don't always realize there is no box office receipts to judge these films by. They just exist in the streaming universe, presumably for as long as Netflix will exist. And this movie shot up to number one on the Netflix movie chart for the day. And let's be honest, if a two-hour and 46-minute NC-17 film was released in the theaters, this thing would not make any money. However, the streamer giant gave essentially an art house director, a controversial one, a divisive one, something like $40 million to make this insane movie. 
So in that sense, there is no losing at this point, which I think is also part of the infuriating thing to the people losing their minds over this film on Twitter and Letterboxd and everywhere else. There's really nothing they can do about it. You see a lot of tantruming and people saying the film shouldn't exist and hating it and hating it and hating it, but there's really nothing that's going to happen. They can't celebrate the film bombing because there is no bombing. And certainly a director like Andrew Dominic, I don't think is worried about Rotten Tomatoes scores, certainly not worried about IMDb scores or Letterboxd scores. In fact, I would wager that the way people have been reacting and carrying on is sort of what he wanted. And so for someone like me who enjoys controversial films and is always intrigued by filmmakers willing to push the envelope, I've been a fan of films by Lars von Trier or Gaspar Noe, for example, amongst others. The more people were freaking out about this movie as it got closer and closer to being released and then seeing the early reviews on Letterboxd and other places during the day on Wednesday before being able to watch it for myself, I was getting excited because I wanted to see it. And there's not many things released these days that really get people going, get people outraged, get people reacting in any way. Miss Monroe, it's time. You get your start. Maybe. What start? In movies. Why continental? But diamonds are a girl's best friend. I guess I was discovered. Men broke home as girls. I know you're supposed to get used to it. And we all lose our charms in the end. I just can't. Square cut or pear shape. I've played Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. I can't face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn doesn't exist. When I come out of my dressing room, I'm Norma Jean. I'm still hurt when the camera is rolling. Marilyn Monroe only exists on the screen. And so I was ready for it. I knew that it was going to be a murky area. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about taking a real person and fictionalizing their life for the purpose of entertainment. However, I will say that I've never been outraged or offended by a film, no matter what the subject and no matter what's portrayed. But the question is, is Blonde a good film? Does it justify the cruelty... (laughs) the torture it inflicts on its main character, Norma Jean, the girl behind the iconic Marilyn Monroe, the sad girl in search of 
her father for her entire life, the victim of countless horrible men who treat her like a piece of meat. Does it defy the faux outrage people have over it? And the answer is no. The film really is not that good, unfortunately. I think it's sort of boring, a little bit too long. The stylistic choices don't really work. There are moments of beauty in the film. I enjoyed Ana de Armas' portrayal of Norma Jean. I thought it was interesting because she doesn't really look like Marilyn Monroe, but the transformation in the film works. I thought she gave everything she had to the performance, but stylistically, the film tries to do too much. I've seen it compared to Mulholland Drive and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, and I definitely get why. There is an inevitability about the life of Marilyn Monroe that I think is what Dominic is exploring here, where she's on a collision course towards the end of her life, and he's really illuminating the tragedy in a way that I'm sure a lot of viewers don't appreciate because they want to see a more full perspective on the life of Marilyn Monroe and make her more than just this one-dimensional symbol of suffering, which I get, but again, this is based on a novel. This is not really Marilyn Monroe's real life. It's just sort of inspired by it, which I guess is a tricky thing to to grasp. It is, I guess, a, a moral question. When does a person transition from a human being with a real story to an up-for-grabs historical figure? I don't know that there's really an answer for that. I guess... If people are still upset, then it hasn't actually happened to Marilyn Monroe. And to clarify what I mean so that people don't take that the wrong way, if you were to make a film about Napoleon or Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great, all people who do have films made about them, I don't think people are going to get upset about having a creative license with the material. Not in this way, not this visceral outrage that people feel about Marilyn Monroe. And I'm a Marilyn Monroe fan. I like to watch her films. I enjoy many of her performances. I think she was actually a very good actor and very funny. And because of her sex symbol status, I don't know that a lot of people really fully grasp that now, now that she's been gone for 60 or so years. And of course, Andrew Dominic, the director, doesn't really do himself any favors by doing these antagonistic interviews with people who already hate the film and then giving shithead answers to be a dick, which get misquoted and taken out of context, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that makes Blonde worth discussing at all for me is my fear of the constant ongoing free speech battle, which may seem like a little bit of an overblown thing to bring up and be worried about, but just scanning through some of the letterboxed materials and the tweets that I've seen from people who were angry and outraged about the film and then sort of working themselves up into this fervor, joining in the feeding frenzy, hating on it without really any rhyme or reason. Some of it does sort of reveal the truth underneath the outrage, which is this film should not exist. I saw that several times. This film should not be allowed to exist. It should not exist, which to me is kind of upsetting. I have no problem with people hating the film. I didn't really like it, to be honest. But there's something about 
suppressing creative freedom and the ability to make films and write novels and make television shows and make art of any kind, when that feels threatened to me in any way, I go on high alert. That's the thing that jumps out to me. And, you know, I'm not one of these people who whines all the time about cancel culture. As far as I'm concerned, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world and all these other people who commit crimes or act like assholes or do whatever can go to prison or be banished for whatever they did. I don't really care about them. But then I see shit like this, and I remember how people desperately were trying to cancel the Joker movie before it came out. And again, a film I didn't even really like that much. I didn't even put it in my top 10 that year, which came as a surprise to Matt. But it's not about liking these films. It's about defending their right to exist. And though something like Blonde treads in tricky territory because it's fictionalizing a real person, I want to remind people this is not the first time a real-life person has been fictionalized in a film. It happens all the time. The only difference is the material of Blonde is very triggering for a lot of people, which I understand. It's not an easy film to watch. There's a lot of gross material in it, sad material, torturous material. And so that's really provoking people into heightened, bigger responses. And I get that fully, but there are certain films that you can just ignore, turn off, tune out. I do it myself. There's some things that I won't even venture to see because I think this will gross me out in some way and I just don't really want to have to look at that. It doesn't offend me. I don't mind that it exists, but it's not for me. And I think that Blonde can be that movie for a lot of people. They don't have to watch it, but I just can't get behind the idea that people are saying it shouldn't exist. And I saw people arguing on Reddit and on Twitter, some people saying it's a masterpiece. People who were giving it five stars on Letterboxd were basically being harassed in their comments from people. I saw people saying that they felt lied to because it wasn't fully explained to them that this was a fictionalized version of Marilyn Monroe based on a pre-existing novel that's been out for over 20 years, as if it's anybody's job to explain it to someone what it is. Nobody owes you anything, by the way. As I said, if you don't like the film or don't want to watch it, that's fine, but people don't owe you explanations so that you can feel comfortable with what something is and then stomp your feet and then claim that it shouldn't exist and all this different stuff. Which, believe me, I know it sounds maybe like I'm whining about it or something, but these are things I read plenty of times over the last 24 hours. And because of the way I am, I guess there's a part of me that wished I loved the film more so that I could be more ready to fight back against that kind of an attitude. But as I said, it didn't really work for me. There's a lot of experimenting with aspect ratios. It, It alternates between black and white and color. The performances feel sometimes Lynchian, sometimes out of a Terrence Malick film. The scenes feel very much like Terrence Malick, although it's definitely missing Malick's eye for cinematography and the beauty of a Terrence Malick film but just the way that the scenes sort of move and transition I think I remember reading they didn't really work with much of a script which also makes everything feel weird sometimes but it's it's an experience and if 
you don't feel comfortable watching a fictionalized account of a real person and don't want to experience the the horror that they use in this film, then by all means, please, don't watch it. You don't need to, and I get that, and that's fine. But for the people comparing it to pornography, my God, either you don't know what pornography is or you're insane. Or you didn't actually watch the movie, which I kind of suspect for a lot of people. There's nothing really pornographic about it. I know why it got rated NC-17. There's one scene in particular, I think, towards the end of the film that crosses the modern-day threshold for sure. But if you're expecting explicit sex, like nine songs or something like that, you're not going to get it. Or even the Brown Bunny or something like that. It's not like that. It's much more simulated. And there's actually not even that much sex and nudity but a couple of the scenes i guess cross the the line of as to what's acceptable for r-rated material these days so i'll give blonde a c minus sometimes opinions change i remember watching under the silver lake a couple of years ago and really was not vibing with that movie and didn't enjoy it and then thought about it a lot, thought about it a lot, read some crucial pieces on it, revisited it, and then it became one of my favorite films of that year. I don't think that will happen with Blonde. There's a chance that I may even like it less. I think Matt, who gave it two and a half stars on Letterboxd, also sort of insinuated the same thing, that he reserves the right to increase that or decrease that in time, the more you think about it. But yeah, I'm pretty similar to him in that two-and-a-half-star range, C-minus area. It just didn't quite work for me. I liked Ana de Armas' performance in it. A lot of the other stuff fell flat. It felt very long at certain times. I wa- Matt and I watched it together, actually, and I was having him hit that pause button a few times just to see how much time was left, and I was blown away a couple of times. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Moving on to Don't Worry, Darling. Don't Worry Darling is a little bit shorter than Blonde, although it pretty much feels the same. At two hours and three minutes, it's directed by Olivia Wilde. Screenplay by Katie Silberman. Story by Carrie and Shane Van Dyke. I think there's some controversy around the credits for the script, but add it to the pile. The huge pile of controversy surrounding Don't Worry Darling. I'm so sorry I forgot to tell you, but you're not feeling very well. And the only way to cure it is if we stay home all day and I tend to you and kiss you and cook for Bye. Bang, bang! Security level, yellow. All residents safe and accounted for. Victory is safe and secure. Here you can live the life you deserve. We can all live the life... Frank has built something truly special. What he's created out here, it's, it's a different way. A better way. Victory has things money can't buy. Mm-hmm. I live next door, you wouldn't believe the things I've heard. Jack and Alice only have time for each other. What is the enemy of progress? Chaos. Yes. Yeah. Nasty word. Chaos. 
The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. I was here when you got here? Yeah. You're sleeping in the bedroom. Most of my patients have had nightmares. I have some pills I can prescribe for that. Violet, where did you meet Bill? We met on a train to Boston. Boston. You dropped your ticket, and he bent down, picked it up, gave it to you, right? Thank you for your loyalty. Not everyone gets this opportunity. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing, Changing the, world. the world. They're lying about everything. Keep calm and carry on. I gave you all of this, Alice! It's all about control. Whose world is this? Alice! I know exactly who you are. You don't get to take that from me! Alice, go! I've been waiting for someone like you, someone to challenge me. Like a good girl. This is Olivia Wilde's second feature film as a director following Booksmart, which I enjoyed as a film for the most part. I thought it was competently made and the characters and story were very likable. Unfortunately, Comparing it to Superbad in any way or even calling it a comedy felt like a stretch. We saw it opening night in a mostly filled theater with the target audience in attendance who would be younger girls, younger women. And it was as quiet as a tomb. I don't remember a lot of laughs. Which when you compare that to classic comedies from the early 2000s or even decades gone by. I remember being in some very rowdy, raucous party atmosphere crowds for comedies where people were laughing and having great times. And that didn't really happen with Booksmart. But as I said, I enjoy it. Thought it was a a reasonably well-made film and enjoyable. Olivia Wilde has become a lightning rod of a figure in recent times, but I'm not going to get into her personal life. I think that that is sort of not my business. And I don't really think it's anybody else's business either. And it's sort of weird that people really fixate on it. It's probably because she's a woman. We know that men do that all the time too. And I also don't think it's anybody's business what men do, as long as they're not committing crimes. I actually kind of was annoyed with all of the Leonardo DiCaprio breaking up with his girlfriend because she turned 25 stuff. My thought was, who cares? It's not like these girls are underage. They know what they're doing. They're adults. But society tends to infantilize women and treat them like babies, like they don't know what they're doing. And so we have to protect them by acting as if dating them is a crime and carrying on and on and on about it. I think that that's just somebody's personal life. And if they're not doing anything illegal, then who gives a shit? And I feel the same way about Olivia Wilde and the whole Jason Sudeikis, Harry Styles thing. I don't really care. That's not my business. So what? However, the drama in Olivia Wilde's life, I guess, may have played a part in the drama behind the scenes with Don't Worry Darling, which has created a whole 
flood of endless articles and tweets and thoughts and comments and news stories, etc. First, there was Shia LaBeouf going through his ordeal, supposedly getting fired, and then in recent times, it seems like maybe that didn't really happen that way, as Wilde had suggested, and he was replaced with Harry Styles. I'm not going to comment on what Shia LaBeouf did either to get himself in the situation he's in, but I will say that this movie would be better if he was in it. There's no universe where Harry Styles is a better actor than Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf would have at least brought some of that unhinged intensity, which would have made everything seem a little bit more threatening in this film. But if his behavior prevented that from happening, then that's his fault and his problem. I'm not suggesting that he should have been in it. The real controversy seems to surround the relationship between Olivia Wilde and Florence Pugh, the star of Don't Worry Darling, rumors of screaming matches, rumors of Florence Pugh refusing to do press for this film, negotiations having to go on, crew members coming out and signing a petition saying that there wasn't any fights between the two of them. Who knows? I don't really know what's going on. It seems like it was a weird set for sure. And then you throw in Spitgate at the premiere screening of the film where people thought that Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine. I don't really know what happened there. Chris Pine's people said that that was absurd and denied it. So perhaps it didn't actually happen. I don't know. Who knows? If it's all a work, if it all ends up being fake, then... That would make me respect them more. If this was all for publicity to get people excited and interested in the film, then it worked, I guess. Because the film's done reasonably well, much better at the box office than Booksmart, although I think that's to be expected considering there are bigger movie stars in Don't Worry Darling than there were in Booksmart. So at least we don't have Olivia Wilde tweeting on Saturday of opening weekend begging people to go to the movie like she did with Booksmart, which was sort of embarrassing. The problem with... Don't worry, darling, is that it sucks. There's a lack of suspense, a lack of drama, a lack of tension. In the scenes where there's supposed to be suspense, there isn't. The ending, and a lot of it, is explicitly nonsensical, and I'm not even talking about the big twist, which we'll get to in a bit, and I will warn people about before I start talking about it. There is style in the film, but it feels like style for style's sake. There's a hollowness to it. There's a sense that Olivia Wilde is just mimicking things that she's seen in other films that don't really serve the story very well. But Don't Worry Darling's failures are not on Olivia Wilde's shoulders alone. The script sucks. The acting is mostly bad, including Florence Pugh and Chris Pine, who I've seen a lot of praise for. I like Florence Pugh. I've liked her for a long time since first seeing her in Lady Macbeth a film that I loved, and I think Pew is great, and I would be excited to continue seeing her in films, but after a while, and I think it's just due to the repetitive nature of Don't Worry Darling, her performance does start to feel one note. She brings the energy, she brings the intensity, but it gets old after a while. No one else, aside from Harry Styles, even really makes an impact, including Chris Pine, who is another person I've seen some praise for, just didn't really register for me at all. The other characters are nothing, but Harry Style in particular is terrible. He's terrible in this film to the point where we were laughing a few times just at his line delivery. 
So perhaps not the best choice to replace Shia LaBeouf. Matt made a great joke when we saw this in the theater (laughs) saying that now the next time she has another film, we're going to have to see a trailer that says from the mind of Olivia Wilde. (laughs) And we probably will. Because despite the fact that Booksmart underperformed, there were a lot of bidders for this project. She's made herself into a name by hook or by crook. And Don't Worry Darling is doing well enough at the box office where I think that there will be another project that is equally as big or bigger coming up. It's just a matter of can she actually land the plane and deliver it because Don't Worry Darling is boring and endless. I was very annoyed by the end of the film, and then it kept going and going and got more annoying and more annoying as it went. And again, because the film really lacked any major suspense or excitement, the conclusion of the film felt interminable. It just was, what are we looking at here? How long is this going to go on? And there's a few things about the twist that are particularly annoying. So... I'm going to throw another spoiler alert here. As I said, there really wasn't much to spoil about Blonde, and I don't think I've spoiled anything in particular about Don't Worry Darling yet. However, moving forward, I am going to flat out spoil the big twist in Don't Worry Darling. Essentially, this idyllic, dreamlike, 1950s style world that they're living in is fake. The movie takes place in modern times. What it is, is that disaffected young men who follow the advice and the leadership of Chris Pine's character, who's essentially, I guess, supposed to be a stand-in for Jordan Peterson, forcibly tie up wives and girlfriends and perhaps girls they don't know. I'm not really sure how it all works. They don't explain a lot of it and do something to them where they're tied up and laying in bed, but their mind exists in this other world. And the men can join them at night, but then have to leave under the guise of going to work to this secret project so that they can afford to be in this program. How the program works, what are the specifics, how do they get the minds to be in this world, to feel things, to exist in this world, I don't know. There's not a lot as far as the science fiction element to it which is fine. I don't need an explanation about every single thing. But the reason why Olivia Wilde going after Jordan Peterson and the incels and the whole situation there is annoying to me is it's a fashionable target. Those are fashionable targets. And they're also targets who also happen to shield you from criticism because then you can just say that you are supporting incels or this men's rights thing or Jordan Peterson or whatever this shit is. And as I was saying to Matt in the parking lot on the way out of the movie, I hate all that shit too, but that doesn't mean that this movie is good. And there's a really dumb add-on to the twist where (laughs) Olivia Wilde's character, who has sort of been a terrible bitch the entire time in a way, reveals that she knew all along that this was a simulation and they weren't really living in this world, but that she's okay with it because she got to have these imaginary kids that exist in this world. And the fact that she's the director and then plays this character that conveniently got to know about the twist the whole time really was infuriating to me for some reason. 
it was almost as if she didn't want to appear stupid or something. I know that's probably not the case, but to give yourself that part to be like, no, I knew all along, too. <laughs> I just went along with it. I don't know. It just was stupid. It was a stupid ending to a stupid movie that went on and on and on, and I didn't like it. If I had to compare the two films, as controversial as it may be, I think I liked Blonde more than Don't Worry Darling, which I just found to be a rehash of a lot of other things, Stepford Wives, whatever. As I said in my letterboxed review, I think the original Twilight Zone could have done this better and more coherently, and they would have done it in under 25 minutes. It felt very much in that vein of a Twilight Zone film, except you don't care by the end, and the twist is not really that great. Oof. I have to say, though, and I will fully admit this, it did seem like some of the audience that we saw Don't Worry Darling with were very much in on the film and seemed to go with the twists. There was some clapping at a part where both Matt and myself were baffled by that. (laughs) We don't really know what they were clapping about because what we were seeing on screen in that moment didn't really seem to mean anything to us. It was such a weird little twist at the end that didn't make any sense with characters that barely registered. But I will say that people in the theater did seem to enjoy it, but maybe they would be younger people who weren't as familiar with some of the other material that this seemed to be aping. I will say that I laughed more than Booksmart, although I don't know that that would be considered a good thing since this is not supposed to be a comedy, but it is what it is. So I think in the end, Miss Flo distancing herself from the movie might have been the right choice although in Hollywood money talks and the film's doing fairly well I don't think it's going to be a runaway smash hit and I don't know that there's much overseas potential for the film in some of the bigger markets but it seems like it's going to turn a profit it'll probably do well in the VOD streaming universe so all of the drama all of the bullshit All of the negativity, I think it is like a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. None of that was really going to matter. If the studio makes money, then Olivia Wilde will be able to go on to the next big project. I will say my opinion of her as a filmmaker has definitely decreased from Booksmart, where I was at least intrigued to see what she would do next after that. I no longer really feel that way because there's just a bad aftertaste with don't worry darling and i don't know how much i really want to get into everything but there's this victim mentality from people like olivia wilde that can be very grating and annoying because they've lived such a privileged life that they don't really know what it's like for a lot of other women a lot of other minorities and i did see a lot of people goof on this film as white woman feminism in a derogatory sense. And I kind of get what they're saying. I do think that Kiki Lane, one of the few African-American people in the film, I believe she was saying that her part was drastically cut down, which doesn't surprise me because I think originally Dakota Johnson was going to play that part. And Dakota Johnson is more well-known, but it doesn't look great if you are cutting down the part of the one African-American woman who seems like her character could have been a bigger deal 
you'd have to see the film to really understand what I mean, but her character is part of what triggers Florence Pugh's character to start questioning the world that she's living in and, and go a little further with it. And so it seems like there would be more for that character to tell us as an audience, but I don't know. I don't really know what the specifics are, what got cut out, what didn't, what happened. Like I said, it's a mountain of drama with this movie anyway, so who can figure it all out? In the end, though, thumbs down. D minus, worse than blonde, didn't like it, rough. (laughs) Anyway, we have two greatest October episodes already recorded in the can, ready to go. We're going to kick that off early next week with a big one. So stay on the lookout for that. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Because there's some different stuff going on, some traveling, whatever. So the episodes are going to come out on different days, I think, for a lot of October. So be on high alert. Make sure you're following along and checking that. You can find us on Twitter at GreatestPod. And you can ask for a sticker on Twitter and we'll send that out to you for free. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. You can see our reviews of Don't Worry Darling. I didn't review Blonde, A, because it doesn't seem worth the aggravation (laughs) to deal with that shit right now, but also because I didn't really know what to think last night after watching it. I needed some more time with it, and I, I did come to the conclusion that it wasn't great. Anyway, hopefully... Matt will be back and we can get back on track with your usual two hosts and we'll go from there. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully this went well. I know it might be boring to hear one person ramble on and on and on, but I did what I could to get this out while these movies were hot and in the moment. So thanks for sticking with me and we'll talk to you real soon for the greatest October.
I'm sorry, I'm not Florence Pugh!